The podcast you are listening to is a part of the Between the Lines Studios Network. To find more great podcasts, please visit www.betweenthelinesstudios.com. Welcome to Quadruple Z, a podcast where we watch, read, listen, click, and consume so you don't have to. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Quadruple Z, the podcast where we talk about everything and anything that we want to, including today, tabletop gaming. And I am here with the lovely folks from Albino Dragon. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Do I go first, Eric? Sure. Um, Eric Dalman. I am Shane Tyree, uh, creative director of Albino Dragon Games, and Eric is the CEO. Oh, I was okay. going to say, Eric doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I hope to delegate everybody else to do work. Including <laughs> introducing me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm talking to Albino Dragon. They are the fun people behind a bunch of card games that you might have seen, including a Cthulhu deck that went crazy and... They just closed a Kickstarter for the Name of the Wind cards, and they also do other games as well. So I want to talk to you guys about gaming, especially for those people who are kind of on the fringes and want to know, like, how did you get to do their dream job? Uh, pretty much by accident. It was it was one of those things where um, I got introduced to Kickstarter about uh, a little less than two years ago, and I saw a whole bunch of games on there, and I thought you know, I had been kind of out of gaming for a while. Um, so that, that brought me back in, but then as I was buying all these games on Kickstarter, I was seeing, I was like, well, I could do this. And so I actually put together my first game and that's when I contacted Shane to help out with some artwork. And, uh, we've pretty much been working together ever since. Yeah, it was, it was kind of the same thing. Like I had, I honestly had never heard of Kickstarter, but I had been, you know, I, uh, game art and gaming is really kind of what inspired me to. To, to really focus on doing artwork and, and getting better at it. And, you know, I, I've always liked commercial art, but that was really the thing. And Eric first contacted me to work on an iOS app, which was like a, a game kind of related to the game that he ended up making for Kickstarter. So um, I had been working in uh, the gaming industry for companies like Fantasy Flight and AEG and Catalyst for a little while when he contacted me. It was actually kind of ironic because the very first time we were going to work together, like we ended up not being able to because it was kind of a collaboration project and I had just gotten paying work. So I had to bow out and um, Eric came back like six or eight months later and he's like, hey, you know, this is going to be a thing. Uh, this is the budget we've got. We want to help. And it was just kind of went from there. We've been working together ever, literally ever since. That's cool. And how do you guys pick which projects you work on? Oh, that's easy. It's just whatever we think is cool. There's really no other criteria. Yeah. It's really <laughs> nothing else. Most of the time the conversation goes something like, oh, you know, it'd be cool as if we did like this. And then the other person goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kicking it around and it goes basically on a list of like all the million things that we want to work on. Yeah. That's kind of probably the nice thing about the company being you too, because it's like, you're on you're on sync and you don't have to have like a giant meeting about it. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you want to do this? Yes. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that is that seriously is like the most amazing part about doing this is that we have like literally our our litmus test for test for whether or not we do a project is do we like it? Check or you know or do we love it? Check. Like if 
if we don't meet any of those criteria, like it just doesn't happen. And, and that's scary. That's the scary thing about growing actually is like how much that, that conversation is going to have to change when we start bringing people into the company. And Right. Well, I think, I think that's also why people get so excited about the Kickstarter aspect of it is that they see that how passionate you are about it rather than, Oh, yay, let's do a thing, you know? Well, I think that's kind of one of those key points for Kickstarter. Um, a lot of people just throw something together and put it up there thinking that they're going to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. And really, I think what sells those things is your own passion, the project, because that really comes across with everything that you do. Yeah, I agree. I think I've, I've donated to things that I don't even care about just because the person was so crazy passionate about it. I'm like, oh, okay, I want to make that happen. I think it's the only thing you uh, – so I shouldn't say it's the only thing you can't fake because I think you really – you actually can fake it, like, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been creators that have, have started projects out there that, that they seem incredibly enthusiastic. They have, like, this incredibly high energy level. But it starts to tell after a while. Mm-hmm. And it, w- it wasn't a conscious choice on Eric and I's part. I don't think that we, we made sure that it was only stuff that we loved or, or at least liked. But it ended up being a wise choice because the backers are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. Like, they will see that duplicitousness. They'll see that fakeness. And it eventually it'll sour an entire project. Yeah. Have you guys seen a lot of people follow you through multiple projects just because of you guys? Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, I would say... I would say that, I, I, I mean, I don't have the hard numbers. And I'm sure, I don't think it's something Eric and I have unpacked, but... Like, we see the same – there's people that, you know, we'll have on Hangouts now when we run them that were hanging out with us back when we did Cthulhu last year in September. So and, – and you see their names pop up every time. Now, you know, maybe sometimes they they can only back for five bucks, and sometimes they're really enthused and they back for more. But we've had – we have a, a really large following of people now that are just, just there to see what we do next because they love it as much as we do. Right, and they started a whole Facebook group for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty wild. I'm I'm always wondering if the Facebook group is going to end up getting bigger than our own Facebook page <laughs> at some point. There certainly is a lot of interaction on it. Like, and that's the other thing. Like, uh, people have described it as kind of being like a meta product, but um, you know, we don't closet off what we do from the people that are supporting us. Like, um, a lot of Kickstarter projects are completed when they come to Kickstarter, so it's more of a pre-order for a store. It has you know, nothing to do with the creative process has nothing to do with getting, you know, stuff actually made. It's just kind of like, let's see how much money we can get before we send this to the presses. Right. Um, and we don't closet that off. Like, uh, you know, the backers are there with us from the beginning of the project through its creation to the end of the project. Yeah, so how are some ways that the, the Kickstarter, like I know, but for the people that don't know, how, what are some ways that the, the, the people that are funding you have helped like how did how do they interact with you guys? Well, so a lot of times, one of the things we do. This is just a, a the most I think direct example. We we will run Google Hangouts online, and we'll invite our backers uh, from Kickstarter to come and participate in either the design process or even very recently in the actual creation of the game. Like Eric and Benny ran a Hangout where. They were discussing game mechanics and theme and, uh, you know, uh, gameplay. So we act literally bring other people who do not do this for a living, presumably, into, you know, a, a virtual room, so to speak, and let them have feedback in 
how the art is created, uh, what the games will look like, what they're going to be about, and even in this case, what they play like. And, um, you know, there's been little Easter eggs and things we've hidden in all of our products related to feedback from our Kickstarter, from our Kickstarters, but they've had a really direct hand in how the art is created and, and what the final product looks like. Do you feel like, um, or more like, why do you feel like other people are kind of close to that idea? Is it a control thing? Is it I'm, I, pure speculation on your part, of course? But I think I think a lot of it comes down to control. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you open up those, well, and and maybe maybe it's like the criticism thing too, because it's one thing if you put something together and you put it out, and you've got some people that like it, some people that don't, but. But when you're sitting there while you're making it and someone's, like, looking over your shoulder the whole time, like, I think it's kind of like this catalyst to perform, <laughs> right? Because like, if I've got someone watching what I'm doing constantly, I'm going to tend to do better work, I think. Right. Well, I also think, I mean, I definitely think the control thing comes into it. But I, I also, it's, it's really personal. Mm-hmm. You know, creating anything, any kind of, any, any artwork, certainly, but, like, um, something that you have to put that much work into, inevitably some part of yourself ends up going into it too. So it's an incredibly personal experience. And uh, we kind of lucked out with doing it this way because Eric and I actually had been working like that together for a really long time. So he would be sitting, you know, he would sit in with me and we would work in real time together creating, you know, assets for our various games. And because we had already developed that kind of, you know, that, environment it wasn't too hard to bring other people into it for me but for other people i can see it being like a really personal experience and not wanting to face the possibility of rejection because i think that's that's really the scariest thing for any artist is that kind of you know i don't like it like that's 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 the worst that could possibly happen right Right. what do you mean you don't like it this took me forever to do right (laughs) right and i can i mean i've fallen even as desensitized as i've become and how much i enjoy talking to people i've fallen prey to it too like a couple times especially um during the name of the wind because that was something that was really important to me personally like when people would would say snarky stuff in the youtube comments or what have you when we were running these hangouts i would i i found myself being like you know a rabid dog like going after him and i've been doing this for you know over a year now we've been running this sort of stuff so it's it, it still happens even to me so i can see that for for people who are doing it for the first time being really intimidating so what do you do when when you feel like that well that's one of the reasons we hired the minion is so they can run around and punch those people in the stomach <laughs> exactly. exactly so we can just punch them in the face <laughs> um honestly for me like Whenever I feel that way, it's just, it's been an impetus for me to perform. Like, mm-hmm. it makes me, I'm, I'm an intensely competitive person. Like, I've always, always have been. I can't, I cannot refrain from competing if it's, if it's, you know, an option. So I look at it like that. And, um, I look at it as like a, almost like a challenge to do better. Do you feel like too much, too much feedback? kind of ruins the process in, in any way like how do you control like obviously you can't well <laughs> well i'm ahead on that one i think shane does a really good job of of mitigating mm-hmm. um you know like we certainly listen to all the feedback but i think it's just that it's constructive criticism it's feedback and and ultimately like we're the ones that make the decision so while we do listen to all of that like at the end of the day it's always going to be what we feel is best for the product yeah it's you have to you give them you have to give people Okay, so, like, here's an example. He's exactly right. Like, 
an example of valid feedback would be like, you know, let's put a fedora on Gandalf. Right. Be like, well, why does Gandalf need to have a fedora? And then they give you some cool creative reasons why it would be kind of a neat take on the character. That's valid feedback. Somebody saying more blue, that's not valid feedback. That's like, that's, you know, artistic execution. That's getting into what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. So those are kind of two examples of things I think are good and bad feedback. As far as um, your previous projects, and I know you've done the cards, which are great, but what other what other things have you worked on? The full list? Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for our board games, we've, yes. done, we've completed uh, Gene Grafter, um, Ace of Spies, and Dragon Whisper. And we've got another game right now that we're currently um, doing tweaks with design that's going to go through some more playtesting, and we're actually looking at um, starting on some, some uh, artwork and stuff for that. And that's actually the one that we're running design hangouts and stuff for currently. Um, and then for our cards, we've actually done uh, what, four decks. So we've got Call of Cthulhu, The White Rabbit, Synthesis, and uh, Shane's currently working on The Name of the Wind. And then we've got a few other kind of like secret projects that are still in the works right now. Nice. Now, what was the difference between working on um, The Name of the Wind with, obviously you have Pat Rothfuss involved, who's the author, versus the other ones where you... Kind of just did it on your own. Um, well, well, okay. So as far as principal production goes, well, as the business side of stuff, it was it was totally different. And I think Eric can can illuminate on the, you know elaborate that a little bit. But on the art side, I was a fan going into it, so it was intensely important to me that Pat have an active hand in creating the art, as opposed to just kind of being something he signs off on you know so there was a lot of scheduling challenges that just didn't exist in other projects like we were just literally able to work until something is done but when you have somebody that's as busy as pat that's not always something you can do so and then um like the difference finding that happy harmony and the difference between an interpretation and you know like i said when it butts up against the execution part of things like it was something that Pat and I had to develop. You know, thankfully he and I have like a really good shorthand, so it wasn't, it didn't take really a long time at all um, to do that. But that's that's the hardest thing when you're working with somebody is to to figure out that that kind of secret code that to get you both on the same page. And it took, that was just not present when we we're working together. When me and Eric are so are kind of so gelled in some respects now that it's really kind of creepy. Yeah, as far as the business part, like it, it's definitely different when, because normally we'll be running a Kickstarter and we don't always have all of our stretch goals and everything planned out. But if we decide we want to do something, we don't have to ask permission to do it. Like just even getting all the contract stuff work before Name of the Wind was, you know, months in, in the works. And then, and then we had to pretty much plan out everything that we thought we were going to need because we couldn't go back and, and redo contracts in the middle of the, of the Kickstarter campaign. Right. And that actually came to play. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say that came into play because it actually, during the course of the project, it um, it limited some of the the ideas that we had while we were running it because we had to go back and say, well, you know, as cool as that would be, like it's just not going to be, you know, it's just not going to be viable given what we have here. So yeah, I think the art book was probably the biggest example of that. That was something we would have loved to do, but there were just so many you know, legal loopholes and, and editorial control and all that kind of stuff to where it was like we just couldn't do it. I was going to ask, what kind of games do you guys like to play? I'm big. I was a big Magic player. Um, so I always go back to things like deck builders. 
I was also big on like RPG stuff, so things that have really strong themes and like really cool looking art and stuff. I always like. Um, I've I've recently gotten more into like worker placement, um, resource management type stuff. Awesome. Yeah, we just played Puerto Rico for the first time last week. I love it. Yeah, I've always been a role playing game guy. Like I I played role playing games. Some of the first games that I ever played um, was D and D with my uncle back when Redbox first came out. So I've been I've been playing games or RPGs for us, you know, almost as long as I've been playing our gaming. Um, uh, other than RPGs, though, I've always been a big war gamer. Uh, so like a BattleTech, uh, Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Fantasy, um, Epic. You know, just. Uh, pretty much anything where you can put together a cool army of little little toys, essentially, and beat the crap out of the other guy's army. Like I was, I was totally on board for that. Did you paint them? Oh, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. You can't have some shoddy-looking army out there. It has right. to be pretty. Yeah, I think that's the part of war games that gets me most excited. It's like oh, I get to paint them. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And if you do it right, like, you don't even have to sink a whole lot of time into it to make it look good. Like, as long as it's it's uniform really is the key. Like, um, you'd always be able to tell the guys who had way too much time on their hands and or way too much faith in their own abilities because they feel the army and it looks kind of like a, you know, like a Liberace support group. Like, it's just <laughs> this ridiculous assortment of colors and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, as long as you have this, have a, a, a solid like a uh, process. That's all you really need. That's cool. Um, do you have advice for people who want to basically do what you guys are doing with their own games? Advice mm-hmm. to compete with us? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to do something entirely different. That's not competitive. <laughs> no, like, I think it's just like, you have to just go for it. I mean, I pretty much took the money that I had hired Shane and quit my job and, and just, decided that I was going to make it work either way. And you just have to have that, that faith that you can do it and actually like put in the time and the work. A lot of people think that it's, you know, we sit around, we play games all day and we probably play games fewer, like less now than before we ever started the company. Cause there just isn't time because we're doing all these other things. Right. Yeah. Like how, yes. many, how many hours do you think you work Eric a week? Um, like, Honestly, I work seven days a week, mm-hmm. and that will usually be anywhere from six to maybe 16 hours, just depending on what I'm doing. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't always feel like work, because a lot of times I I get to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but going into it, like, we pretty much had to learn. I mean, I already had some business experience and programming and all that kind of stuff, so I understood, like, project management and things like that. But then there's all these other things that we had to learn along the way, like the social media and... Um, you know, how to, how to set up for conventions and how to get ready for conventions. I mean, just that in itself is like a whole new discipline. So. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really, that's what it comes down to is, is like, if I had one a piece of advice, honestly, and it's the one that nobody likes to hear, it's actually shuts down more conversations than anything is to work your butt, your ass off, like yeah. work as much as you can work. Like there's no substitute for actually just putting in the time. And that's the really the only way that you can get stuff done in a two guy operation is if you're if we're busting your hump. Yeah, I, I can see that. A lot of people think it's just fun and games, and what I have to work, <laughs> I have to do something. Well, there's like 
I don't know. Like, I, I hate to be dis- – I don't mean to disparage people, but, like, there seems to be – when you have a measure of success – and obviously there is some luck involved, right? You have to be lucky. There's that's that's one hundred percent true. But I think people are always looking for some kind of weird magic formula that we followed, like a gimmick almost. Um but we really didn't. We just we we put in the time to learn the stuff that we needed to learn and um, you know, we're smart enough I guess to know what we couldn't learn. Right. And then just did it. Like and and worked how many ever hours it took to get it done and uh, do you have any last minute things you want to talk about that's well we're going to be at gen con yes oh yeah yeah oh that's creeping up on us too <laughs> yeah put those skills putting things up and taking them down oh. and all that stuff to work well our, our setup's usually pretty quick it's just getting everything there and they don't they don't tell you about all the the fees that go into convention services Oh my word! Yeah, I think like there's a company. <laughs> just gonna run <laughs> exactly. I was just gonna say that there's some advice, guys. That make a convention. Yeah, you can charge. I don't know, how much is it for internet at an un, we shall remain unnamed convention? It's pretty ridiculous. How many hundreds of dollars you have to pay for four days of internet access? Wow. Yeah, so there's that's it's an insane amount of fees just getting set up for those things. Um, but even just manning the booth without like you know clobbering each other is it's a small uh, space, is, <laughs> it is. Uh, but we're going to be at Gen Con, we're also going to be at Necronomicon in Providence, Rhode Island this year. Um, I'm yeah, um, Shane's not going to be there, but I'm going to be there at uh, the awesome board game bash, um, at the beginning of August. I think it's the second to the fourth. Fun. And, and uh, 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 the Dragon Whisper um, hard prototypes there too. We should. I am also looking at attending uh, MipaCon here in Pennsylvania. It's a smaller one. Uh, probably it's in November, so there'll be more updates when that becomes when that gets finalized. But um, yeah, we're going to be demoing uh, Dragon Whisper. Our that's our newest title, as well as our title that's currently in development that we were talking about. So if you're coming and you're hearing this, or you're coming to Gen Con, stop by and check it out. Oh, what's our booth number there, Eric? Oh, you have to ask me that. Um, I have a number in my head, but I'm not sure if it's the right one. So I want to say I want to say 1052. It'll be well. I'm sure it'll be on Facebook and Twitter. In fact, why don't you tell people where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, we're horrible at that. Uh, <laughs> you can follow you us hurt on my heart. <laughs> oh, we are. <laughs> but no, I always forget to plug it. So, um, what Twitter is at the Albino Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook.com/slash Albino Albino Dragon Games. Yep. That's right. And if you want to join that Facebook group, it's the Wayward Backers. Just search for it in the top of Facebook. Uh, it's a fun group of people, especially if you want to talk geeky things. I think that's really the, the appeal of it. And we actually have our own website, which is albinodragon.com, which we never mentioned. Yes, go there. You can uh, also find their games on Kickstarter, especially Call of Cthulhu is there. And uh, that's it for Quadruple Z. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Bye, everybody.
Quadruple C is a podcast about books, CDs, movies, TV, and anything else we love in 15 minutes or less. Be sure to stay subscribed and check out our blog. Stay tuned for more episodes. If you want to get a hold of us, please send emails to betweenthelinestudios at gmail.com or visit our website at quadruplec.com and leave a comment. Quadruple Z is released under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivative Work, 3.0, United States License. Quadruple Z is a podcast about books, CDs, movies, TV, and anything else we love in 15 minutes or less. Be sure to stay subscribed and check out our blog. Stay tuned for more episodes. If you want to get a hold of us, please send email to betweenthelinestudios at gmail.com or visit our website at quadruplez.com and leave a comment. Quadruple Z is released under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivative Work, 3.0 United States License.